What's up, brother? And welcome to the Becoming Kings podcast. I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and men's lifestyle fulfillment coach. I've dedicated my life to helping men who feel like they're just not living up to their full potential to level up and become the king of their kingdoms. So whether you've been feeling stuck or numb or extremely angry with not living up to your greatest potential in any area of your life, then I'll be in your ears every week dropping some truly transformative episodes to help you become a man that you're proud to be. I'm glad you're here. Let's get to it. Hey, what's going on, my man? It's Johnny King with another episode of the Becoming Kings podcast, and I'm stoked to have one of my brothers in arms with us today, Dylan Bain, uh, whom I met at a uh, men's initiation through Trevor Bohm, who's been on the podcast uh, down in Austin, and we got we got our feelings out. We we connected with horses. Uh, it was so good to to meet you, man. I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast. Thanks for for being here, man. It's uh, 100% my pleasure. I'm yeah. excited for the conversation today. Oh, dude. Well, what's so great about it, and, and a lot of my listeners know that between um, you know, the various businesses that I run, I often talk about money, but I would say it's one of those areas that I, I know the least of and I actually have the most mental blocks around. You know, um, Even though I've actually grown up with, with it's probably so much more abundance than the vast majority of the world financially and materially and everything else, I still feel like I have challenges and I, and I'm excited to kind of get into how you kind of see money as emotion and, and energy and, and that sort of thing. But if you don't mind, maybe you can tell the, the guys a little bit more about kind of your journey. Cause it's on your website and I really enjoyed kind of reading it, but also hearing it from the, the horse's mouth, I think would be important too. So tell a little bit more about your, your background and how you got into the work that you're doing now with, with people and workshops and everything else. Yeah, 100%. Um, you, my financial journey really started in 2015 when my principal, I was a math teacher at the time, my principal called me in and asked me to commit fraud. And it was at that moment, it was like the record scratch of my life where I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to do that. And she was very pointed in reminding me that contracts for next year hadn't come out yet. Um, and that maybe I should go spend some time with my daughter and think about what the right thing to do here would be. Oh, geez. And so when I when I went back, I mean, and I, I agonized over that. But that that turning point really got me to start asking some of the big questions of, mm-hmm. you know, what's important to me, that there's got to be something better than a full time job with no health insurance, two mm-hmm. additional jobs and welfare. And, you know, I really loved what I was doing as a teacher, but it, it wasn't worth my ethics. It wasn't worth mm-hmm. my soul. And so the next day when I went back and I informed her I wasn't going to do that, um, she told me, you know, she was very disappointed in the decisions I was going to make. And uh, then, then I invited her to do something physically impossible with herself, which was basically the end of my teaching career. Um, and at that point, that that vision that I had for my life, that was a house with a yard, with my kids playing and laughing in the back, with steaks on a grill, which was a food I could not afford at the time, with my wife walking up behind me and giving me a hug and saying, I love what we built. That was a vision that drove me mm. for the next five years through 100-hour weeks, through everything. And along that way, there were a lot of men who started saying, hey, how is it that you're able to go at the pace you're going? Mm-hmm. And that's really where my financial coaching practice got started. Uh, and, and elaborate on that in terms of like guys are saying that the pace that you're going in terms of like to uh, towards achieving financial freedom. 
or towards just blazing your own trail? Like in what, in what way were guys noticing that you were on a rapid pace? Yeah. So, and I, I think when people start like trying to get their hands on their finances, because that's really what it was for my principal, right? She had me by the financial testicles mm. and there was nothing I could do about it. Mm. And so you can look at it and say, well, you know, maybe, maybe you budget better. Well, I was already running a very, very strict budget. And on the best of weeks and the best of months, I was still coming in short. I didn't have a spending problem. I had an income problem. Hmm. And so if you're going to look at it and go, how do I go from point A to point B as fast as humanly possible? In my case, it was, I want to be in the room where it happens. I want to be in the room where they make decisions and I want to get paid accordingly. Yeah. Well, how do I do that? Go be a CPA and get into public accounting because that's going to put you in contact with the C-suite fastest. Cool. So I went back to graduate school. I basically did an undergraduate degree in accounting plus uh, an MBA in two and a half years. Wow. Passed the CPA exam. I mean, I was in I was in there at 6 a.m. I left at 11 p.m. six days a week. Wow. And so by the time I finished, I had not only secured a job at one of the big four accounting firms, a job that I was told I was too old to get, that it was not possible. I had received job offers from nine other accounting firms that I had applied for. And I had three pro bono offers, which were just people going, I know you and I want you to come work for me. Hmm. And so like you, and then as, as soon as I got into public accounting, I, I just dedicated myself to helium hands. I'm volunteering for every need opportunity, every ch chance to get in front of anybody of authority, anybody who wants to make money. That was where I was at. And so people would say, how do you do that? Like, how do you just continue to, to show up day after day after day? It's because I got a vision. It's, it's a house with a yard, with kids mm -hmm. and the grill and the compliment from my wife. That vision draw, drives me. And so people will, how do I create a vision? I wish I had that. Okay, well, let's sit down and talk about it. Because the logic of what to do was very clear. Mm -hmm. Go back to school, be a top performer, get a job, blah, blah, blah. But the emotions of how do I walk up to this guy and tell him I'm the best person in this department? How do I... <laughs> How do I humble myself enough to ask questions? How do I redefine myself as a scatterbrained teacher into the best student at this university? Mm -hmm. How do I go from I am the oldest person in this room to I am the best worker in this room? That's an emotional journey, not a mental one. It sounds like you're also uh, intentionally changing the questions you're asking to, to higher quality questions, right? Rather than questions of victimhood. It sounds like you were... Like, okay, you could have been, yeah, because you could have been too old. You could have been too scatterbrained. You could have been not educated enough, but you kind of took life by the horns, it sounds like, and just really said, no, I'm, you weren't going to take no for an answer and started asking yourself better questions to align yourself with that vision. Would you say that's accurate? Better questions, yes. I think more realistic questions because yeah. the, answer, the answer is what's holding you back. Right. And the answer is almost always yourself. You know, yes, there's there's this uh, this sense of identity that people have. I am bad with money, for example. Mm -hmm. That's a story people tell themselves. Bad with money, bad with numbers. Yeah. Bad with Whatever ladies, bad with my kids. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I have a short temper. Like we could be here yeah. all night listing these things. Yeah. But what we don't understand is that we wrote those stories. Mm -hmm. Those are ours. And we can crumple them up at any time. Mm. And we can rewrite them. Like, for example, when people come in to Fiscally Savage and say, well, I'm, I've always been bad with money. One question we need to ask is, are you bad with money or are you addicted to scarcity? Mm. 
are you the hero of your own story that like you love to come in at the end of the month with just enough money, which is why they spend their bonuses, why ever they're always buying the new toys, because at the end of the month, they get an adrenaline dump by just barely coming in and keeping the wolves away from the door for one more month. They have a story that they're the hero and that everything's arrayed against them. Mm-hmm. Abundance in that case would take that story away from them. And in my case, it was, well, as a teacher, I have to be humble, right? I can't stand up. I don't want to stand out to, no, I want everybody to see me. I want to be the biggest person in this room. I want to be the best at what I do. I want to be acknowledged for my talents versus I just want to get through the day. Mm. I think that's that's a good uh, reframe, right? Um, and, just, and just deciding to, uh, again, kind of, tap it a little bit more into your masculine energy. Uh, something we talk about a lot on, on this podcast where you just, yeah, it's like, am I going to, am I afraid to shine uh, such that other people are going to, you know, be unhappy with me or not respect me or not approve of me, you know? And at some point I think there does, there does come a time. I think a man's life when he says, fuck it, you know, I got to do what I got to do, especially for my family. But going back around to your vision, cause I think that's such a, such a, uh, a valuable piece that I think people that are in their personal growth arena, if you will, can kind of glaze over like, yeah, yeah. I create a compelling vision. Yeah. But then when it comes to actually creating the results that we want, it's, it's so it's cliche or it's, it's uh, one of those things that comes up so often that we can glaze over it because it's actually so important, like that first step. Right. Mm-hmm. So someone who's listening to this who says, yeah, I don't really have that exciting of a vision. Like, how do I take, take me for instance, I'm not married. I don't have kids, you know, I would like to have them. Um, But a guy that maybe is so far from whether it's me or someone who's listening is really so far from what they would love to create. uh, How do you help them figure out a creating a casting a vision that is, tangible isn't like oh i want to have you know the jet and the boat and the cars i like your your vision because it's like very tangible it's like in the back it's just very like down to earth you know it's like one of those moments that you would have with your wife and kids and grilling up some fat steaks and just enjoying the weather you know in your backyard what do you do in your own coaching in your own workshops to help people kind of craft their own vision that really resonates and really actually connects with a deeper sense of emotion or kind of connects on a uh, hitting a nerve, so to speak. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's really important because when I, when I say that there are some people who have told me like that vision is really pedestrian, right? Like, <laughs> like that seems really basic, but that was so far outside my possible mm. when that, that thing came to my mind. Like I, at the time I was living in literally the cheapest apartment in Flagstaff. I was living in Flagstaff, Arizona at the time. I was literally living two doors down from a meth house. My backyard was quite literally a drainage ditch. Mm -hmm. And I was still going into debt. Like I was driving a car that had 300,000 miles on it. (laughs) Like like there was no luxury in life at that time. And the idea of having a grill, let alone having ribeyes on the grill, (laughs) that just wasn't possible. Mm -hmm. And so this was was an unrealistic dream Mm -hmm. in my current state of life. And what what's compelling about it is that it grips you. So when somebody comes in and says, I don't have a compelling vision for myself, then the first question I have to ask is, do you feel worthy of one? 
Let's start there because that is going to be a block to any type of vision. For me, it wasn't even that I was worthy of it. It was that my daughter was worthy of it. And it was my job as her father to get it for her. I wanted that as much for her as I did for anything else. And so when you sit down, like there might be wounds that this person has to work through and feelings of worthiness and feelings of identity. How many of us have come out of communities where we still continue to pretend we're part of those communities, even if we've moved on? I mean, I grew up blue collar working on construction crews and farms, and I still have my work boots, right? I still wear suspenders. Like you've seen me at the initiation, I wear suspenders. Like Mm -hmm. that's a part of this identity that I just have never been able to shake. Mm-hmm. Well, what if your identity is, well, we're not one of those rich guys. We're not management. You know, we're better than that. We're noble because we're poor. Like these are mm-hmm. things that people carry around. So sitting with that and going through the, you know, the whole process of coaching them of what if it was easy to change? If that wasn't part of the story, what would be the thing? Once we get past worthiness, now we have to get into writing it because this is a new activity. This is a whole new skill. So there's two things that I'll advise people to do. The first one is the view from the casket. I want them to sit down and write two eulogies. And the way that, and I do this I, at this point in my life, because I got the house and the yard. I, once I hit that, it let me go and I had to go find a new vision. Mm-hmm. So getting the view from the casket is I imagine somebody that I admire greatly, a man. And I imagine him giving the eulogy that he would give if I died today. And mm-hmm. I write that out. And then I wait a day and I write the one I want him to give when I die at age 90. Mm. Right. And once I have both of them, I will literally go to the bathroom and look myself in the eye in the mirror and I will read them out loud. If you're not crying, if you're not feeling the emotions, then you need to go back and do it again. And you need to get comfortable with just free associating, writing what you want to hear about your life. Mm -hmm. When you have those two, it's like guns. It's like the sights on a gun. The the one today is the back sight. The one in the the one in the future is the front sight. And now we can have something to aim at. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful practice, and I've had a lot of people. Go, I I don't want to do this. This is morbid. True and effective. <laughs> so what I mean for a guy that feels like he's lost and just really struggling to find himself at the moment to do that uh, exercise, which I think is a, is a really good exercise. I, I like that. Um, for the one that would be, if he were to die today, writing that eulogy for today, if he's not super proud of himself and he hasn't really shown up, how is he, I just, I just wonder if it would be challenging for him to really connect with like hitting a nerve such that would get him emotional. If he feels like he's a piece of shit and you know, he's kind of a waste of space, you know, compared to that hopeful vision 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now. Right. So how do you get him, how do you get one to to connect with that more of that eulogy in present day, if he's not super proud of himself and to your point, if he's not actually has, has much self-esteem. 100%. A big part of my job as a coach is to help hold that space for them Mm -hmm. and to remind them that they are worthy. And, you know, in, in the coaching space, like the, the whole reason you hire a coach is because this person has walked down this path. Right. You know, and to somebody like for all of my education and for all of my intelligence, all of my drive and all of my abilities, I still ended up on welfare. I still threw away opportunities. I still said no when I should have said yes. I still was a coward. 
you know, I've been there mm-hmm. and I can look somebody in the eye and with dead serious intensity, tell them you are worthy. And maybe you made mistakes and that's okay because we're going to continue to start walking forward. We're going to find our way out. The whole reason, like no man can do this by themselves. Mm-hmm. I think as men, we're, we're trained and conditioned this idea that like we need to be Jason Bourne. Well, Jason Bourne had an entire network of people behind him that trained mm-hmm. him and educated him. He's got an entire intelligence apparatus that helped him out, right? We think about like, oh, well, I'm going to be the lone wolf. Yeah, well, a lone wolf's a dead wolf that doesn't know it yet. Mm-hmm. And so a big part of my job as a coach is to help them be able to look at reality and accept that reality without the shame and without the judgment. It's not an easy task, as you know. <laughs> I mean, I make it sound like, oh, yeah, you just go to Starbucks and order the latte. Like, it's not. It takes some time. And that could be the biggest barrier to creating a successful financial future. Because if you don't deal with that, it's going to continue to make decisions because your logic brain isn't driving the car. Your heart is. So with that first eulogy, could it potentially be one of regret? Like 100%. Okay. So it could be... Uh... And on purpose, somewhat of a, a victim story, yeah. you know, to kind of push you, right. To, to pain you into, okay. If, since I'm not dying today and I do want to hit that 80, 90, 100 year old eulogy, who would I have to become to create that financial future as well as that lifestyle, right. Of abundance, which is what I'm often talking about with the whole becoming Kings brand. It's like stepping into that arena of abundance versus scarcity, right? 100%. I mean, my first eulogy was a man who like, I, I I did this activity because I needed, I did it originally because I needed to find tactics, mm-hmm. right? And it's very useful for, for finding individual tactics. But my first eulogy was a man who left nothing for his children. I was a man who had, who had passed on and had mm. sent, sentenced my wife and kids to poverty. Mm. Because I didn't have life insurance. I didn't have any money to my name. I didn't have any assets and they couldn't make it without me. Mm. And so like that, that, there was a lot of shame with that. There was a lot of tears that were, were, were over. And I found myself going, well, it's, it's the government's fault because they don't fund teachers. Right. Or it's a flagstaff's fault because they don't have a lot of jobs in their you know, high expense, high cost of living area. Or it's my wife's fault because she wanted to go to this university. Like I found myself doing that and I looked at it and went, okay, I think the first takeaway that I need to take or to take from here is all this is true. Every one of those things is true and none of them matter. Because right now, this is about what Dylan's going to do. This is about Dylan's vision. And so now I need to get to work and figure out what choices I made to be here. I chose to be the teacher. I chose to go work in a tax office and turn down a full-time position. I chose to... (laughs) to continue down this path of like, well, I'll just get another job. I'll just get another job. I chose to be quiet when I should have stood up. I chose to say no when I should have said yes. And now I need to start looking at all those places because I promise they're going to come around again. Mm-hmm. But the, the guy who's who, that second eulogy, he said, yes, he made his bed. Mm. He was organized. He could show up for his daughter in more than just a monetary fashion. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. So that's the first step. And maybe you mentioned the second step and I just missed it. So my wheels were turning about the first step. That was the first step. The second step was what? Well, that was, that's one method. So one that, method. That, that's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of effort to write yeah. two eulogies. 
For so sure. some people will say, like, I, I just can't do that. Cool. Here's a second way okay. that's quicker and dirtier. And on some levels, even a little bit harder on an emotional level. I want you to just take some time and get up in the morning with no technology, like set aside some time and treat yourself, right? Make yourself a good breakfast, go for a walk, hit a workout, but no technology, no distractions, no dopamine mm-hmm. hits. Mm-hmm. And then at about noon, go to the bathroom, lock your, you shut the door, look yourself in the eye, and then just say, I want and complete the sentence. And the trick here is look yourself in the eye and repeat it until you believe the guy. Mm. Because you're saying it to you. And we all know how this is where somebody looks in your eye and they lie to you. What you're going to find is when you say, I want, I want a car. You're going to look at it and go, you're going to see yourself. You're going to see how you energetically show up. All of that's going to be reflected back to you. And you'll know if it's true or not. If you repeat, I want, and then finish the sentence until the guy in the mirror is believable, you found what your vision is. Hmm. And I've had clients where they're, they're like, I want to be an auto mechanic. Well, why did I say that? I'm not an auto mechanic. Turns out you are, dude. You love cars. Hmm. You've loved cars since you were a kid. So why are you continuing to try to be a finance professional? Well, because his dad told him to be a financial professional. And that guy actually owns three mining keys now. Hmm. So like, like, it's this whole thing of when, once he said it, he realized of like, that guy's excited. I want to go hang out with him. That was his realization in the mirror. And when I'm, when I'm feeling lost or I'm feeling, you know, out of sorts, I will go back to the mirror and I will look the guy in the mirror in the eye and I'll, I'll ask him, do you still want this thing? Mm. Yes or no. And then I will answer the question. And that, that tactic is, is extremely powerful because while I was in going back to graduate school and, and remaking my hook in the sky, there were so many times where everyone saw my successes, me just going to all the networking events, hitting these interviews. I was just, I was the star. What they didn't see with all the times I locked myself in the bathroom for a good cry. Right. Or all the times before the presentation that I am just sweating bullets and I'm in front of the mirror, looking that guy in the eye and going, brother, you're worthy. Brother, you're okay. Brother, you got this. Until I believe the guy in the mirror. Mm-hmm. So that, that mirror work is really powerful. And I think it's overlooked. A lot of people go, well, I'm talking to myself. I'm crazy. As long as you don't answer yourself, you're okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No, I think that, it, I think you're right. And that could very well be more difficult in many ways. Cause you have to almost face yourself. Right. Uh, both seem definitely emotionally challenging for sure. Um, so, so working as a, a CPA and now kind of, you know, running your fiscally savage financial coaching practice, uh, you, I, I know you've talked about, um, and you just mentioned it now too, like the emotions of money. Um, you've talked about budgets as statements of shared values, as I believe you, you put it. Can you explain or yeah, expand upon what you mean by budgets? as statements of shared values. Yeah, 100%. So let's just start with the money is emotional. Mm-hmm. Money, pe- people get this idea that money is a head up, uh, a neck up type of activity. It's not, it's a neck down activity. Money's emotional. If there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, money is the dirt we put the pyramid on, okay? And it's not numbers, it's not spreadsheets. It's your sense of safety and security. It's how well you sleep at night. Mm-hmm. 
Now, when you when you understand that and you start to understand that you, no matter what you do for a living, you're exchanging your time, your most precious non-renewable resource in exchange for money. And even if you're somebody who's like, oh, I got a lot of passive income, there's still a lot of time that's dedicated to create passive income and to manage passive income. So no matter what you're doing, you're trading your time. And if you want to know what type of man you are, you can take a look at your calendar, how you spend your time, and your checkbook, how you spend the thing you spent you traded your time for. And those two things together will tell me everything I need to know about you as a person. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not dealing necessarily with the calendar side. I'm dealing with the checkbook side of it. And so when you really get down to it and you say, okay, well, how do I spend my time is a measure of how I'm a man. So how I spend my money would also be a measure of how I'm a man. And so we start looking at it and go, well, hold on a second. If I spend money at Chick-fil-A, and this is not against Chick-fil-A in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. But if I spend my money out, right? Especially if I take my kids, hey, let's do something special. We go to Chick-fil-A, I buy the all the meals. Okay, what did I do? I went to a franchise, I exchanged my time in the form of money for some meals that we eat, and then we're done in the car. And I've invested very little other than the exchange of the of my, of my time. Mm -hmm. Let me run that scenario a different way. We want to have Chick-fil-A, but I'm going to go to the grocery store with my kids and I'm going to spend the time with the excitement that we're going to make these ourselves. And so I learned how to make a Chick-fil-A sandwich. We learn how to make buns. We learn how to pickle things so we could have the pickles and we make our own mayonnaise to put them on the, on the burgers. And then we learn how to fry potatoes so we can have nice French fries. And then I have a meal, meal with my kids. To get that Chick-fil-A sandwich when I was a teacher was four hours of time. To make a Chick-fil-A meal at home was four hours of my time and a quarter of the cost. So if I'm looking at it, which one do I want my daughters to talk about? Are they ever going to remember me going to a restaurant? No. But both my daughters at this point can cook independently of me because of the choices I've made. That's my values, is to raise daughters who are independent, <laughs> who are capable, my daughter's my oldest is 10. My youngest is seven. They make their mm -hmm. breakfast in the morning. Mm -hmm. They use knives. They've been using knives to cut things since they were two years old. Mm -hmm. These are part of my values as person, as a man and as a husband and as a father. So when I look at my budget and how I spend my money, that is a statement of my values because I'm spending money on the things that are important to me. So what's important? Dining out or going to the grocery store? What's important? Education. So like well, there was a point in my life where I looked at my budget and was like, my biggest line item is daycare for my daughters. Mm -hmm. Is that consistent with my values? Yes, it is. Because I really truly believe that that's a foundation they're going to have for the rest of their life. Right. You know, what wasn't the money I spent at the bar. Mm -hmm. That wasn't in my values. I didn't view myself as a guy who spent, spent $50 a week at the bar. So by changing that and looking at my budget in the, in that framework, I'm getting to know myself and what's really important to me because the numbers aren't going to lie. I got so many wheels turning in my head. Uh, I think yeah, that's so powerful. You're right. The, the, the numbers don't lie in the sense of how you value what you spend on and also how you spend your time. I love how you talked about those two things kind of really show you the, you know, the bread and butter of, of a man or, or lack thereof. And I, and I do feel like there's a lot of, probably a lot more people than not, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, who don't, who don't live by a budget, who don't live financially uh, responsible, right? 
um, and who do let their quote unquote emotions or energy leak um, through a multitude of, of areas, but certainly as it relates to money, right? Um, and I think that's the challenge, especially in this day and age when we've got, you know, phones and cars and gadgets that, that can all give us that dopamine hit as we, you know, spend stuff on Amazon. And then once, once it arrives, we kind of look to the next thing to purchase. So again, going back around, cause I think it's so, it's so valuable to talk about is that whole idea around self-esteem, you know, self-worth. And I think uh, those guys who really struggle and and I'm speaking from experience as well. And I still have my moments for sure. Lots of them when I realize that I'm leaking money because I'm not feeling super confident in myself, not feeling mm-hmm. loved, not feeling seen, that sort of thing. Um, I just love that you're balancing. It's not just a, uh, black and white conversation about money, right? It's not just about like dollars and cents. It's really looking at the human side of things and the behavioral side of things in terms of the the actual spending of of money and, and emotion. Um, but speaking to a guy from the standpoint of where you kind of were, where maybe he doesn't make a ton of income um, and he kind of has a real hard time envisioning any sort of future because he doesn't, he doesn't see that he has a whole lot of value and he doesn't see how he could potentially make a lot more income. Right. Like you said, you had more of a, an income problem than a saving problem. Right. So speak to that guy, that younger version of you, how you, you ended up just shifting and moving into becoming a CPA and an accountant or what, what all the things that you got in two and a half years of studying and like just really balls to the wall going for it. And you had your wife and kids as motivation and leverage as well. But for the dude who's listening to this and he doesn't have any of that and he's not making a ton of money and doesn't feel like he's got a ton of education, what would be some some words of advice for you know getting that guy up and off the couch to, to take some more action? And would it come back to creating that vision? And then with that compelling vision, you figure out how to take the next right step or, or I don't, yeah, how would you advise that guy? Well, I mean, the, the, he, first off, for anyone who's listening is the guy on the couch. like. I see you and you're okay. And when I want you, I want to, I want you to know that, that what else I'm about to say next is said without judgment and said with every ounce of love I have in my system, mm. you're worth more than that. Your apps, your gifts are worth more than that. I don't care who you are, or what your background is. Your gifts need to be shared. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways you can you can frame this, especially if you're in a situation where you have an income problem, is look at what I, I call it the money equation, and it's certainly not my idea, but money is equal to the time you give plus the value you add. That's true in all cases, okay? And so you look at it and say the money I receive is equal to the time I give plus the value you add. Now I'm gonna t- I'm gonna head off of an objection right off the bat when they, somebody goes, but I work at a Seattle-based coffee chain, no matter, and I, I'm set on an hour, and I know I produce more value than that. I didn't say the money went to you. I just said the money was produced. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so understand that that there's a there's a game that has to be played here. But if you're looking at it and saying, but I'm I'm low income right now, you can try to adjust your time. And that's that can be a very powerful thing, but that's not the biggest lever you have because at the end of the day, your time is finite. Okay, so some things that you can do that are going to really help you with your time is 
have an evening routine that sets you up for success the next morning. Mm -hmm. Right. When I was in graduate school, that was a thing. Like the coffee maker was ready to go. Like I, I, there were, I frequently would arrive at school with my lunch and my coffee in my car, having no idea how I got there because <laughs> I was so automatic and everything. Like I just, it was all set up on the way out the door. So like I would zombie walk out of the house, get in the car, drive to school and be like yeah. in the parking lot going, I'm glad I made it safe. Cool. <laughs> yeah, Let's yeah. go. Yeah. Um. So those, those things are powerful and yeah. they're not the most powerful. The second part is the value you add. And so I would be really honest with yourself as to what, what is the value you can add now and what will get you to the next level. Mm-hmm. And so if you're working at, say, a Seattle-based coffee chain and you know that you're adding more value than you're getting paid for, well, start asking yourself, what are you actually paid for, right? You might be the best latte slinger in the entire world, but you're getting paid for throughput, okay? Mm-hmm. So they don't care about the quality. They care about the volume. So set your, you know, look at your work environment and start setting yourself up and go, how can I, how can I produce the volume that's not going to exhaust me because I need to start working for myself, not for the Seattle-based coffee chain. Mm-hmm. While you're doing that, now start asking yourself, okay, well, I might be making twelve fifty an hour. How much money do I want to make? What's the next step up? Is it manager or is it getting a different job, right? Figure out what the different job is. Then ask yourself, what are the skills you need? This is an iterative process. It, like I didn't change my life in overnight. I didn't hit six figures t- for five years, mm. you know. But I had to look at every level. Okay, where do I want? Where do I want to be? I want to be in the room where it happens. Okay, what's the first thing I need to do? I need to figure out where the uh, how I get there. Oh, it's accounting. Okay, what do I need there? I need to take this class and get an A. Right. I need to find the person who's going to be doing the hiring. I need to. You you see how this works? It's small little victories stacked on top of each other. So if you're sitting on the couch and saying, well, I want to make more money. Okay, cool. How much more money and what is the next step from where you are to where you need to be? Whether that's taking a class and being the best, whether that's quitting and finding a different job, whether that's understanding that, well, maybe I need to start educating myself in other ways. It doesn't matter. The one thing that I will say, and like this is all easy to say, but this is the one thing I will say. If you think about like a GPS unit, it doesn't start telling you which way to go until you get into action. So like, if you're on the couch, just get off the couch. Yeah. You'll start figuring it out on the way. Like once, and this was, this was one thing that I learned and I've learned multiple times. The second I started going, it was like, I am going to the big four accounting firms. That's where I'm going. Everything else became easy. Cause mm-hmm. once I started heading that direction, the path became apparent. Mm-hmm. But if you had, if you had asked me, what's your path? I wouldn't have been able to tell you now, not mm. until I started, <laughs> but you knew what you, it's almost like you knew the destination. You had a clear idea of what that vision was. Right. And you just started. Mm-hmm. And then, and then to, to your analogy, even if you took a wrong turn, you rerouted, you quickly kind of figured out, okay, this wasn't the best way to get there. And you pivoted. Right. And you mm-hmm. found your way. It wasn't a direct shot to your, your compelling vision. Right. But you, you figured it out by a lot of probably trial and error. Well, 100%. And, and during that time, you know, like I had a cancer scare and during the time my wife got in a head on car crash and we were down a car. And during that time, the university revoked my financial aid. And, and like, it wasn't like it was just all sunshine and rainbows. It was okay. How do I change? How do I pivot? I think the other piece that's missing here though, is I decided that at every step I was going to be excellent. Mm. So Mm. even if I got halfway through and I was like, you know what? I've decided accounting isn't for me. 
I had built a foundation that could pivot to just about anything else. I think two things. One to the point that you just made, which I think can't be overstated enough. And I, I just harp on it all the time is that if you want to improve your quality of life, you have to increase your standards, right? Because we all tend to uh, find ourselves kind of hitting, hitting whatever uh, lowest standard that we're willing to, to tolerate. And if you're willing to tolerate that drainage ditch in the back, and the meth lab two doors down and the 300,000 plus you know miles on the car and shit falling apart you're tolerating that then chances are you're not going to get much more of that cuz you're happy with it it's it's when you no longer are willing to settle for that and say fuck this i i'm not going to tolerate less or or anything less than x and you raise your game i think that is such an empower uh, such an empowering point that you just made and the other thing circling back to what you said maybe <clears throat> a half an hour ago is even when you didn't fully believe in yourself, you you found something of value that really <laughs> encouraged you, aka your your girls, right? And we will always do more for other people than we will for ourselves, mm -hmm. right? And so your drive all of a sudden came like, I don't even know if I believe in myself. And yet I have to do this because if not for me, do it for my for my daughters. This is not the legacy I'm gonna leave them with that first eulogy, you know, I'm going to do something else, which really got you into action. So I wanted to kind of like, to me, take out some of those nuggets from what you've said, because I'm like, I think those are some of the things that, that men that are listening who are like, I don't feel like I have a very, well, then you have to, and that's what I a lot of times do, even though I don't have kids, even though I'm not married, I still do it for my future wife and my future kids, you know, because that's the vision that I have as well in the future. And I'm not going to wait until I get them <laughs> to start working. I'm going to start setting myself up now, right? So I think there's a lot of truth to what you you mentioned in the raising the standards as well as being motivated by other things beyond yourself. I think that does really connect with a, a man's like mission. If they can also have that compelling vision be associated to something that is deep within them, but not only just for their own their their own values, but for something else outside of them that they value, right? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I mean, and and like you you really hit like one thing that you did say like you don't have kids, but you want to have them, right? Yeah. And I I had heard, and I I don't remember where I heard it, but the whole thing of everyone's looking for the one, but they they don't want to make themselves the one for somebody else. Mm. Like, and and I I when I heard that, I was like, wow, I that resonated with me because that's what I became because when I was looking and say, I want to get into these accounting firms, it was, what do they need from me? Mm -hmm. The type of people who are going to be elite, what do they need me to be? And so like for the first time in my entire life, I was like cleaning my car just in case I had an opportunity to like give someone a ride. Mm -hmm. You know, that simple little thing was like a complete departure from the rest of my life up to that point. But so your, your point about standards is, is absolutely well taken because <laughs> fast forward, like five years later, I was giving a ride to one of my, my, uh, interns. I was mm -hmm. managing an entire project for Ernst and Young and he, we went out to lunch and we're going through the drive-thru. He goes, I, I won't eat in your car. I promise. And I was like, in my head, I hadn't updated my own, my own vision of, or, or, you know, a perception of myself. Cause it's like, I'm not that kind of guy who doesn't want people eating your car. And he like looks around and he goes, oh yeah, you are. And I drive a Nissan Sentra. Like, 
but it, it's I, I love your your statement about standards. That that's gold, man. Well, I I think it is it's it's true, and it's certainly not my own the the things that I've learned in that regard. But I do feel like the times my life has changed is when I've just finally hit that emotional threshold, right? And talking about money being energy or emotion, it's like once you hit that emotional threshold, and you say. I need to make more, or I need to make X, I need to, you know, and that's a big part of me for me is the whole idea of like, uh, becoming a king is, is when you really start stepping into those levels of abundance. So having said that, uh, I appreciate that very much. And I'm glad we're on the same page. I think, um, for a lot of guys who are like, okay, this all sounds good. It resonates. Oh, what next? I, I'd love to kind of know what you're offering to, to, to men and women, uh, alike, because I know I have both types that are listeners, you know, what would be something that, that uh, you're offering, whether it be coaching or group coaching or workshops, what do you have coming up uh, even in the new year? Cause we're recording this in December of 2022, but uh, yeah. What do you got going up that, that could support them in their journey? Yeah, 100%. So if you head over to fiscallysavage.com, uh, you, you know, the sign up link for one-on-one coaching is there. Uh, and I am currently open for clients. I don't have a whole lot of spots left. Um, but I am looking for a couple more. And then in the new year, uh, you want to make sure you subscribe to the newsletter because I've got, I'm doing a workshop and an entire six-week course in January. We got additional workshops that are coming up about money and masculinity, uh, the money equation that we talked about here. Um, and that's just that's just in the first quarter of the year. So I'm currently lining up other uh, joint offerings with a couple other organizations that have been coming out in Q2. I got a lot of exciting stuff. Uh, but that's where you want to start is at fiscallysavage.com. Fiscallysavage.com. Your your other handles on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook is fiscally savage as well, correct? Yep. You can find me at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at fiscallysavage.com. I am most active on Instagram. Um, and so if you've got a question on any of the podcast episodes that I put out on my podcast, mm -hmm. uh, you want to respond to any of the stuff that I put up there, that is a great place to find me. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um so, so cool. And, and if you're listening to this in this past, the first or second quarter of 2023, um, just go to fiscallysavage.com, right? And you've probably got all your updated stuff there. You can probably dive in whenever you're listening to this and and uh, connect with you there, correct? Or or DM you, like you said, on Instagram would be a good way to connect. Yep. The the website is is live and we're going through a renovation. So we're going to have a whole new website for the new year that's cool. going to have everything you need to take control of your financial life and live free. Dude, I love it. Thank you so much. Obviously, we could keep talking. Uh, so we'll have you on for another part two uh, in I'll the near future. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But thank you so much, Dylan, for sharing this and just for being right in line with so much of what I talk about with my listeners um, and that I've written about in my book as well. Like we're just, we're, we're, I just love what you're doing. So thank you, brother. Appreciate you so much. Um, and guys, as always, I would just highly recommend you jump on Instagram, jump on Twitter, wherever you uh, LinkedIn, you know, Facebook, wherever you're on most actively uh, or check out Dylan's fiscallysavage.com website give him a follow on social medias, uh, shoot him questions, pick his brain. I'm sure Dylan, right. You'd be happy to, to connect and add value as much as you can. And if someone feels like it's of value, then they can jump into your programs. Right. 100%. Some of my best podcast episodes are actually listening to requests. So I love <laughs> that go. stuff. There you go. And your podcast is fiscally savage. I assume. Yep. Yes, Everywhere right. you can find podcasts. There you go. There you go. Dude, thank you so much. Uh, always a pleasure. Looking forward to catching up with you soon and keep rocking it out.
Sounds good. Thank you so much. Pleasure's all mine. Absolutely. Thanks guys for listening. We'll catch up with you on the next episode of the Becoming Kings podcast. I'm your host, Johnny King. We'll talk soon. Cheers. That's it for this one. And I want to thank you for listening. Hey, if you got some good ideas from this episode and you want more, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast. And if you think others may benefit from it also, share it on social media and tag me in your post so I can say, hey, it would also mean a lot to me if you felt inclined to write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts since I read every single one of them. And if you've got any questions or topics that you'd like to recommend or really just anything that you think I could improve upon, man, I thrive on constructive feedback. So hit me up with an email at podcast at johnnyking.com. Oh, and feel free to also subscribe to my YouTube channel, connect with me on LinkedIn, and follow me on Instagram at Johnny King and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Johnny King Men's Coach. Thanks again for joining me. I'll catch you next time.